1: my friends and welcome to this another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris joined as always by John Daigle and handsome Hayden Weeks gentlemen. I did not tell the people this last week, but I made an impromptu call. Some might call it an executive decision to punt our late week podcast last week. I hope you all all enjoyed your wonderful relaxing weekends that I'm sure was not filled with news blurbs at all.
2: And you didn't even hint and preview that our team previews are going up on the site right now.
1: I'm awful. What can I say? Well, I'm requesting a new host. It, it's it's the summer months. We are all trying to get in game shape. This has not been one of the best off-seasons of my lifetime, okay? So, unlike the rest of the NFL that somehow despite not being at NFL facilities will come back in the best shape of our lives. Daigle, that is not me. I can't speak to you, but that's not been the case with my off-season.
2: I only shave my beard as a farce, just pretending that life is going well.
1: You learned how to surf on a lake, which is which is pretty good. That
2: Hidden was wings, like uh,
1: two. That was two hours out of four months. That doesn't <laughs> <get> that. <laughs> better two hours than I've had. Uh, Hidden Winks, what's up with you?
3: Well, I can't buy any dumbbells. Apparently, you have to sell an organ to get a dumbbell on on online right now. So I have moved to the most high tea thing I can do. Yesterday, I went and I just pushed my car down the street. Uh, what are you doing? Lower. Yeah, there's nothing to do. I can't go to the gym. I'm pushing cars now. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going full Alvin Kamara up here.
1: Yeah, are you gonna start posting thirst traps on Twitter like James Conner? Maybe I'll fall in love with you and your ADP as
3: well. Yeah, Daigle's been tracking these all all year. Uh, maybe you can get uh to make fun of me too. So we'll see. The, oh, online,
2: that's the online workout scene is like the only thing booming during the pandemic, and Hayden is still outside pushing his car.
1: Do you uh-huh. ever do you all of you? I mean, you might be too young for this, Hayden, but I would say at least 10 years ago. It might be longer than this. It was either ESPN or NFL.com put out these advertisements for fantasy football of, like, Marcus Colson catching footballs, but he went, like, through uh, a, a wall to catch it, and then, like, Drew Brees hit the crossbar, like, five times in a row. Did you remember these? Like, they all had to have been obviously fake, but that was before the time that anyone with a cell phone could, you know, spice up their videos and come up with these cool videos. So, now, what I'm saying is, basically, Hayden, you were recreating that in real life by pushing cars. We should all do this as fantasy analysts, I, I believe.
3: Are you? Yeah. Fr- uh, well, don't tell- I was going to say I, I'm trying to top uh, a out here making one handed grabs on surfboards. Yes. Uh, with various uh, beer cans, so that's well, what I'm trying to reach. I, I was
2: trying to top Mike Gasicki running through a garage and catching his own pass. So.
1: Got it. So we we have Hayden pushing cars. We have Daigle catching beers with one hand. All I've done is like roll on logs in previous in years and and like try to catch fish in ice, you know.
0: Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you.
1: None of that is exciting. Uh, Speaking of like James Conner and all these guys, the SFB 10, the Scott Fishbowl 10, has been kind of consuming the fantasy football bubble. Um, Since it is a bubble that we all live in, why don't we each like take a minute because I'm actually interested in, in what your guys' teams look like as well, what strategies have happened. I mean, I know that only five or six picks are probably gone down in your leagues. I'm only through round four so far um Hayden why don't you start us off what, what does your team look like and like take a minute we could go for 10 minutes but let's take a minute and do this
3: yes yeah, so I had the first pick in my league and I drafted Patrick Mahomes that's just kind of uh a credence to how crazy these uh league settings are um I wanted at least one quarterback and I'm willing to wait on my second one and then I stacked him up with Tyreek Hill drafted Mark Andrews because tight end premium also to have Tyler Higby later and then um Allen Robinson uh Adam Thielen and Cam Akers. So I'm through seven rounds. I like my team so far. I'm going to be drafting a lot of tight ends. That's my strategy. And were you the one one Yes.
1: Okay. I, I should probably mention what the scoring is. I mean, there's going to be 22 yeah. players on each roster. There's one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, four flex spots, and one can obviously be a super flex with a quarterback. So there's going to be 11 starters. Uh, I mean, I don't want to dive into too many details on how uh, different this is, but I love the scoring because it's so different. And obviously we can't just kind of all – ease into our group think like we do for every other league and, and draft, but, you know, passing it's six touchdowns. Um, you actually lose points per incompletion, um, lose points per sack, per sack, uh, obviously tight in. It's almost double the receiving in terms of for, per, for first downs. And I should also say per reception um, as well. Dagan, what does your team look like?
2: The points for first down and super flex plus tight end premium are the real kickers here. Uh, quickly, just to take a step back though, I will say that it's a Scott fish bowl because Scott fish, the patron state of the fantasy industry holds these massive leagues on behalf of charity to donate to fantasy cares every single year. And as you said, it's the 10th annual league and every one in the industry plus fans compete in it on behalf of charity. Uh, I got 10th place last year. Uh, humble brag, shout out to me. Uh, and this year I'm at the 1.05 and I don't know what the hell I'm doing, Josh. Uh, I started with Zeke and you also picked from the 1.05. So I'm curious to hear you. Yes. I started with Zeke being a super flex, came back and got Sean Watson. I knew I wanted one of the big four quarterbacks that fell to me. Uh, and then I had the choice between DeAndre Hopkins and Matt Ryan, but over 10% of the entire field has gone to quarterbacks. So it's like, okay, let me just try to have a unique build. I'll get the best receiver available, which is DeAndre Hopkins, who I think we can expect to catch a lot of first downs for the Cardinals. And then it came back to me, and it was – I had the choice to get Tom Brady, but again, I wanted to still leave myself the option to differentiate, so I grabbed Evan Ingram as my number one tight end. So those are the four I have right now, every position, and I'm kind of seeing what happens on the comeback to decide what I do next.
1: Yeah, our teams are drastically different. I obviously started Mm -hmm. Zeke as well at 105, because the four picks ahead of me were McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Saquon Barkley. Um, You know, it's so funny because we talk, I mean, we've talked about every single player this summer, it feels like, but there are certainly players that I have conviction on. And one of those is Carson Wentz. So I actually took Carson Wentz ahead of Deshaun Watson, um, which, you know, maybe it's based on the scoring and maybe it's because I, I think that his team is on the, incline, whereas I'm not so sure the Texans pass catchers, if they might be on the decline. Um, I followed that up with Clyde Edwards Hilaire at the 305, because we've talked about, I mean, why settle for safe in this draft, right? I, I, what if What if Clyde Edwards Hilaire goes in there and gets 70% of the volume out of that backfield? To me, that absolutely is much more of a boomer bust pick, obviously, but something I want to um, lock on to. and not even took him ahead of your DeAndre Hopkins pick, Daigle. Um, and then in round four, I followed it up and I was going to take receiver, but it seems like with the scoring Hayden receivers, like once you get past the top few names, it's just a bunch of jumbledness. Like they all score about the same. And so I went with another running back and I went with James Conner, who we've talked a lot about this all season at four Oh eight. So I'm at three running backs and one quarterback and no wide receivers through four rounds so far.
3: Yeah. Going into this, my plan was to not draft a receiver for like way, way like round like eight or something. And then all of the running backs flew off the board in my league. All of the quarterbacks flew off the board in my league. And then I was like left with guys I have like as top 10 receivers with Thielen, Allen Robinson, like the fourth and fifth round. And I kind of just threw my strategy right out the window just because the value was there. Yeah. And and I was thinking about taking Allen
1: Robinson in that fourth round. There were a few Mm -hmm. other names like Odell, so on and so forth, but there was just like you know, a, a set of five to seven names at wide receiver that I felt so comfortable about, and maybe only one or two or three backs that had a lot of volume with James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Chris Carson. That I just thought like locking in that third running back with a lot of volume and most likely on a very good team. And the Steelers was probably the best avenue for that. It's so fun. I mean, Dave, you hit on it. This is obviously the tenth year of the Scott Fish Bowl, and what's so fun about it is that the scoring changes every year. So like we we can't figure out what the best practices are. And so since it's so different, then we um, really just go by the seat of our pants and, and fly by the seat of our pants each and every year. And hopefully you feel just as comfortable as you did last year, Daigle finishing 10th as you do so far this year.
2: Nope, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, okay. We spent way more than a minute on that, but I, I think everyone out there is interested and it's going to carry on for a few weeks. So I'm sure we'll update our teams along the way. Um, there was a big piece of news on Monday. Yes the Monday after the July 4th weekend, Patrick Mahomes, the best player in the NFL, received a new contract. Um, let's see if I can outline what this contract is because I think the biggest reaction to this contract extension was just confusion, not because of how many years it was or not because you know it's an exorbitant amount of money, just because it's new terms like guaranteed mechanisms that were added into this deal. It's a 12-year deal. Ten years plus the two years he had left with a base value of four hundred and seventy seven million dollars. It averages, according to Mike for of pro football talk at signing basically forty million dollars per per year. Thirty nine point eight million. Um, Hayden Winks, is there a dollar figure that is too high or a percentage of cap space that is too high that the Chiefs could allocate to Patrick Mahomes in your opinion?
3: I mean, in theory, there is yes, but we are finally starting to see the quarterback market reach a point where it's actually um, matching up what their on-field value is worth. And I think that players like Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson are going to be trailing Mahomes just a little bit. But uh, if you look at just like the the annual salaries, uh, Mahomes is going to be making $10 million more than Russell Wilson, who's currently the second highest paid quarterback on an annual basis. And that's actually where these quarterbacks are, are valued at. And I think Patrick Mahomes, I think it was the right move for him to lock in a lot of money guaranteed moving forward and the Chiefs lock in the best player for the next decade. I think it's a win-win.
2: I've heard some cite that we don't know how NFL contracts shake out. So this one obviously isn't a guarantee. But we also haven't seen a contract like this. And we haven't seen a player at that position, at the stature of Patrick Mahomes, receive a contract like this. So my initial reaction was, not only is he going to play out and receive all 500 plus million, a crazy number of this deal, but I would imagine when he's 36, he signs another contract, right?
1: Hmm. Yeah, he does. And I don't know if he even plays out this 12 years, because at some point, the money's going to change in the NFL, right? Like new television rights are coming into the fold in just a couple of years. I have, I mean, we rarely see unless it's fully guaranteed contracts, and this is obviously isn't a fully guaranteed contract, Allah like Kirk, Kirk Cousins signed a few years ago, then deals get redone, you know, like years that are tacked on to the end, get converted or added on to and extended so on and so forth. I don't know. Like it's so weird that the biggest contract in, you know, American sports history elicits zero reaction from me. But That's kind of exactly what happened here because we know he's going to get paid. We know there was like no tense moments of him going anywhere else. And it's just something that also seems so unattainable and so unimaginable here with half a billion dollars going stretched over 12 seasons that, sure, yeah, it it's kind of feels like an, an imaginary number here, Hayden, to me.
3: Yeah, and the one thing to track is that this doesn't really affect the Chiefs cap space this year or next year, really. They're still in a good spot to retain some of their players moving forward and their team's so young that I think over the next three, three years – Um, they'll have enough talent to match this. But then moving forward, they're going to hit on a lot of draft picks. They're going to have to get a lot of players, uh, veterans, to come to Kansas City in in hopes to win a Super Bowl on cheaper contracts than usual. Um, And then the other thing is basically how this contract works is the Chiefs have to opt into future deals two years earlier for Patrick Mahomes. So that's why the uh, guaranteed mechanisms, which is a, a term I had never heard of, basically he's not actually guaranteed with injury risk. But since the Chiefs have to opt in two years earlier, that basically locks them in. They're not going to get rid of uh, a player of Mahomes' caliber that early. So that's that's where you get the uh, mechanisms.
2: And if you are someone who's saying that their cap is tied now, thus making them a worse team, their cap is tied because they just made a statue, basically, of Patrick Mahomes in 20 years to be a lifelong Chiefs player. So, of course, like they're going to be in position every single year to win Uh, with someone who is going to go down as the greatest football player of all time. It's not even too early to say that.
1: It does create more questions though, right? Because like in the short term, there's the Chris Jones contract saga that's going on right now. Where, like, depending on the week, um, he might be on the roster. He might get an extension or he might get traded before the season even starts. But then since you're thinking in like this 12-year window now, there's also the question of, well, is Andy Reid still there in 12 years? Probably not five years from now? Maybe. I mean, you have great players who are in their 30s or nearing their 30s and Travis Kelsey and Honey Badger and I can keep going on and on. So like 12 years is a freaking long time, right? And so to me, it's just impossible to even think beyond a five-year window right now. But man, the five-year window and what the, the Chiefs are in right now is, I mean, they have to be obviously the favorites to win the Super Bowl this year, and uh, talent-wise, maybe even better off than they were last year. And I think it will pay for itself in the long run because players will want to
2: play with Patrick Mahomes and want to play with Andy Reid. Like Andy Reid's personality is so much different than Bill Belichick, who is so strict. Like uh, Andy Reid is more of a players' coach, and we've already seen this with Sammy Watkins becoming, who was the highest-paid receiver in 2020 with 21 million, take that pay cut for only nine million this upcoming year to not only fit with a coach who actually likes his presence, but also just to play another year with Patrick Mahomes homes. And I think they're going to get a lot of deals done that way over the next five years.
1: Hayden, just to peel back the curtain here a little bit, uh, you were on news when this was going, you were running the news blurbs. I mean, this was probably one of those like deflate gate moments or Peyton Manning free agency world tours of there was the potential to have 10 straight blurbs on Patrick Mahomes in about a six hour period. Uh, because like little chunks of the news would come out every like, oh, he's going to sign an extension. Oh, it's going to be over 400 million. Oh, it's around 500 million. So and so forth. What was that like to deal
3: with? Well, you had Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport uh, basically competing for different. Uh, I mean, their their sources, one was from the team side, one was from the agent size. And the the numbers just kept going back and forth. Is it four 400- hundred? $47 million, is it $503 million? Later, we find out that it's kind of in between. There's incentives in place, these guaranteed mechanisms, uh, all this random stuff. But like, I could have wrote 10 blurbs if I wanted to. Um, I just kept saying, Rotopat, help me out, help me out, help me out. And I basically just kept adding stuff to the end of the blurbs um, in, in lieu of adding another headline, but tough day. I, I believe Rappaport
2: was on vacation as well. So we had to get up from the lawn chair in order to uh, start digging for
1: this news. One, what is vacation now? And two, you you also had NFL agents suggesting it might be tied to the percentage of a cap and so and so. I mean, what a what a whirlwind of six hours. Um, Okay, let's get into the bulk of today's show. Uh, Everyone during off seasons talk about training camp battles, camp competitions. It is fascinating in this time that we live in right now uh, that around, what, July 28th. Training camp should be opening. We're about three weeks away, and it seems like the NFLPA and the NFL are having constant conversations on what the plans are. Again, we're just three weeks away, and no one has a clue of how these players are going to get to training camp and then stay in training camp and so on and so forth. But, guys, let's go into an imaginary world, a perfect world, where training camp is actually happening. We don't know about preseason games. We know there at least, well, hopefully, are going to be two. Um, Maybe not Any actually at all. Um, But let's go and focus on training camp competitions, uh, which teams have unsettled roster positions and let's try to settle them right here, right now. John Daigle, you're up first.
2: I would like to start with the Ravens backfield because as we are now in the thick of it at team previews and getting more research under our belt, uh, I keep coming back to the idea that we've discussed Clyde edwards helaire as the perfect fit for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes over the next X amount of years. We've t- uh, we will talk about Jonathan Taylor here in a bit, who's being drafted as the 1.02 in Dynasty Leagues. But J.K. Dobbins much like those players, is also a match made in heaven. Football guys Matt Waldman in particular is even taking him as the number one rookie in rookie drafts this year. And it's because you want to talk about the perfect match. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, RPO, class high, 57% per fantasy points in Graham Barfield at Ohio State last year. And what happens? Of course, the Ravens led the league in RPOs. Uh, over five yards per carry from shotgun at Ohio State, J.K. Dobbins did. And he goes to a team that ran the most highest rate of shotgun last year. It is a match made in heaven, not only for training camp battles this year, but speaking long as well. Uh, This backfield shakes itself out. The team has a team-friendly void for 31-year-old Mark Ingram next year to get out of his deal if they choose to do so, and Gus Edwards is also a free agent. So if they choose to, they can not only lean on J.K. Dobbins this year but also run wild with him and Justice Hill as their two backs next year. So whether it's a dynasty or, as we're talking about, a training camp battle to watch this year, I think J.K. Dobbins, the more I think about it, is the back to own here.
3: Hmm. Hayden. Yeah, yeah. I think he's going to be if I, if you were asking me who's going to be the most efficient running back, regardless what stat you want to look at, my money would be on J.K. Dobbins this year. It's just a it's just a matter of will he get enough carries to become a RB two? And I think to open the year he's probably more of a flex guy. Maybe you want to keep him on your bench because I think Ingram's probably going to start the year as a starter. But man, as the season goes on, I, I want to be betting on J.K. Dobbins. He was a 95th percentile RB prospect according to my model. I mean, he ran for 2,000 yards at Ohio State and like. Like Daigle said, just the, the the scheme is just so perfect for him. Dual threat quarterbacks at Ohio State, dual threat quarterback with Lamar Jackson. And I think the Ravens are one of the few teams that can have two fantasy starters at running back. And they have the fourth easiest schedule. Like the, the Ravens are still gonna be one of the two best teams, three best teams in the league this year, as long as Lamar Jackson stays healthy. And I think by the end of the year, we can see Dobbins as like a top 15, top 20 RB.
1: Okay. I agree with everything both of you said. Uh, but now it's time to play devil's advocate. Okay. Cause someone has to do it here. Right. Uh, I know Daigle that this all season, you've written about, you know, touches that are on the table that have that are unclaimed right now in all backfields across the NFL. Um, how many do the Ravens have that are unaccounted for right now? Zero. I don't, right? I, I best say, please answer. Cause I don't have it pulled up in front of me. <laughs> Zero. Okay. Every single person Perfect. who carried the ball last year is returning to the team. So usually that's how we like figure out opportunity for new players entering a team. We have to do math with J.K. Dobbins, right? We we have to do projection with J.K. Dobbins in terms of eliminating carries from Mark Ingram, are they on the Ravens' own 20-yard line or the opposing 20-yard line, right? Because that's a major difference as well. Do we eliminate touches from Gus Edwards, who averaged somewhere between like 5.3 to 5.6 yards per carry last season? I think we can all say that Gus Edwards is a limited player. I can also say that in 1999, I am positive that Gus Edwards would have rushed for 1,300 yards because he's like a super straight line player. So you have him going north and south, and then you have Lamar Jackson with a threat being east and west as well I totally agree if things you know broke in his favor this season either a Mark Ingram injury or you know just claiming because he is the most talented back in that backfield JK Dobbins has like top 10 top 12 running back potential this season because of just how dominant that Ravens running game is but it's something where We don't know at all because, again, Hayden, there are zero touches available from that backfield heading into the season.
3: Yeah, the the first thing he has to claim is the 11.9 carries and one reception per game that Gus Edwards and Justice Hill combined for last season. So that would be the first thing he has to do to become a flex option. And then from there, he digs into Mark Ingram, who was the RB12 on a per-game basis last year. Um, And you also have to – make sure that Lamar Jackson stays healthy, because if he's out, this whole rushing system is going to crash. So there is a lot of risk here. But in the range he's going in, I mean, you're talking about like uh, David Montgomery, David Johnson, all these other guys have risk. And I don't think that their ceiling is quite as high.
1: Yeah, let's talk about where he's going, because he's going as the running back 36 or 37 right now. That's after Sonny Michelle, James White, Kerryon Johnson, which is Stop really Just disgusting. Um, Compare that to Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram's going as the running back 22, uh, just ahead of David Johnson, David Montgomery, Raheem Mostert, all names that we have talked about, all names that likely have volume attached to their name. And while Mark Ingram was fantastic last year because of one, the offense and two, he's still a very talented player. I think what Daigle mentioned in that he's almost certainly not in the team's plans in 2021, Maybe they try to get the most out of him in 2020, but we've also seen this kind of storyline be cyclical and happen in the past where, okay, a team has already drafted your replacement. They act like, uh, you know, he, he's going to wait in the wings and, and sit back and learn and then just outproduces all the veterans on the team. And that's absolutely possible here. Dagle with with J.K. Dobbins.
2: And what's funny is that I do think Edwards is one of the best pure runners in the entire league. Uh, He's just so silky. But uh, I made a massive sweep to my best ball tiers on Roto World over the weekend, and I moved J.K. Dobbins up to the RB29 overall. Um, I have been taking a little bit of Mark Ingram, but only to mask early players that may not have a role early, like your Jonathan Taylors, like your Clyde Edwards layer, just so I can probably get a month out of an older veteran until I believe until JK Dobbins breaks through in week six or seven, whenever they start leaning on him more. Uh, But if this team, like Hayden says, does have the fourth easiest projected schedule this year, we can expect them to be favored by a touchdown or more in several games. And in those games, like, Dobbins's floor is eight carries for 90 yards and a touchdown, and that's a game you want. That's those are games you want to flex a man, despite having a questionable timeshare in their backfield. So I still love the player, I love the fit, and it just seems like the, that combination usually finds a way to make itself work.
1: Before we move on, let's just outline these rookie running backs, because, and I know you're going to hit on one probably later with the Rams running backs. Hayden, is that what you're going to do? Yep. Um, let's talk about it. Because you have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's the running back 18 right now. Um, then you have Jonathan Taylor, the running back 26. You have DeAndre Swift as the running back 28. Cam Makers is the running back 29. Then we talked about J.K. Dobbins as the running back 37. Then right after him is Keyshawn Vaughn. That's the top six. Hayden, do you agree with that order? Would you shift it at all?
3: Yeah, I would, I would move DeAndre Swift down a couple spots. And then I think it's uh, – Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in his own tier, Jonathan Taylor in his own tier after that, and then Cam Akers and Dobbins, I keep going back and forth, and then after that, DeAndre Swift, and then you guys can have Keyshawn Vaughn. (laughs) I will not. I will not. Uh, Before
1: we move on, do want to say that if you're checking us out on YouTube, go and subscribe to the Roto-World Football Podcast. Hey, we're also in audio form. If you don't like looking at our faces, just listen to us via your eardrums. Um, Yes, any podcast platform you are on, go and search for the Roto-World Football Podcast. Uh, We're up every Tuesday and Friday mornings. And again, our main goal is just to help you win your fantasy draft and ultimately win your fantasy league as well. And if you missed it, we did a live draft last week and go and check out that one. Um, Okay, I'll go next. I wrote up the because, again, as John Diggle mentioned, since he's trying to take over hosting the show, um, we are all writing up our team previews on Rotorold right now. I recently wrote up the Carolina Panthers. Imagine that. And I want to talk about the Panthers volume vacuum, the one wide receiver in a Joe Brady slash New Orleans Saints offense that is going to see the vast majority of targets on the team. And I I bring up those two because, again, that's where Joe Brady has his ties to. And, you know, last season, Michael Thomas in that Saints offense saw 32% of the target share, 40% of the air yards. Justin Jefferson and Joe Brady's LSU passing game, 25% of the target's Um, I, I think that a major factor in this is where a receiver lines up in Joe Brady's offense, because Michael Thomas last season ran 36% of his routes out of the slot. We know Justin Jefferson spent about 93% of his time in the slot last year. But when you look at this Panthers wide receiver group, there is no pure slot wide receiver. There's not someone that has spent the vast majority of their time in that area, uh, in their past. I would nominate as someone because one, talent wise, and two, I actually think his skill set matches up perfectly in a slot, DJ Moore for this area. Now, there has to be a drastic change in his usage because his A dot has to drop from about 11 yards to down to eight, eight and a half to really maximize this volume vacuum role. But Daigle, I can absolutely see DJ Moore emerging as that go to target. In this Joe Brady passing game, um, a la Michael Thomas, since the Saints offense keeps being brought up, and Justin Jefferson, as we saw at LSU last year.
0: Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference.
2: The leader in target, sure, but I do think everyone is going to break out at some point and it's going to be hard to pick weekly. So yes, uh, I would much rather lean on DJ Moore. He is my wide receiver eight overall, I believe right now, just because I think this offense is going to be explosive. While I was researching the Bengals preview that just came out on the site uh, yesterday on Monday, I believe. Uh, I ran into some old Joe Brady quotes that he said in a press conference upon being hired before the season at LSU, and one among many that sticks out was this one. And he says, we don't ever speak on our guys individually. I love how they're working, but as a group, these guys work each other. We're understanding this offense. Everybody's going to have opportunities. We say everyone's going to eat. And that's what happened at LSU last year. And I think, again, that's what happens with the Panthers this year. Again, it's going to be hard to pick them weekly. It's going to be a mess in DFS and good matchups, particularly like in week one against the Raiders. And you're going to want to sprinkle all of them throughout your lineups. But overall, I really do think all of them are going to pay dividends at some point throughout the year.
3: Hmm. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of five-man protections but. Ball- quick and I hope that DJ Moore lines up in the slot maybe Curtis Samuel slides in there too but regardless this is a team that was second in pass attempts last year their defense is worse this year and then they bring in an offensive coordinator that loves to sling the ball around so I think at worst you're getting a Panthers offense that's going to be top three top four in pass attempts this year and they have the skill talent And if Teddy Bridgewater could play at like a league average or the 20th best quarterback this year I think that there's a chance that this passing offense is much better than what people are thinking for fantasy especially Teddy Bridgewater becoming like the quarterback like 25 in drafts i'm i'm a little bit higher than him uh, yeah, there.
1: just looking at some of the panthers numbers from last year i mean they led on only 22% of their offensive snaps last year and i was actually stunned that they were mo- one of the more pass happy teams in the nfl last season in, in neutral game scripts but then you bring in obviously joe brady out goes all the turners and ron rivera um, but Joe Brady and his LSU team attempted almost 100 more passes than any other SEC uh, team out there. It's it's just I, – I think that playing in the slot is going to be kind of the easy factor here because we look at Teddy Bridgewater. We look at him having, you know, the lowest average uh, depth of target or uh, yards per throw, I should say, um, last season in the NFL. And, I, I mean, I, I just think DJ Moore, who played about 30% – in the slot during his rookie season, only about 18% or 16% last season. I think it would benefit him most to get there. Uh, we certainly I doubt we see Robbie Anderson in there very much, but just if we can like be very binary with it, um DJ Moore in the slot, Curtis Samuel and and Robbie Anderson winning outside, to me is the best path, best path to success for this Panthers team.
2: And Bridgewater only attempted nine passes deep last year, completing six of them, but that's the Saints offense. I, he's never been the downfield thrower. He doesn't opt for that throughout his career, but at the same time, they're going to steam that Matt rule and Joe Brady will quite a bit. Once they open up the shallow level with those crossers and yards after the catch plays. So I think we get more shots from Bridgewater. Um, I disagree with you. Actually. I, I think Robbie Anderson will be involved. I think he's going to be like the most volatile player in fantasy. Like he's going to have a couple of Will Fuller weeks, but he's going to disappear as well. Um, but overall being in on this offense it all, all roads lead right back to Teddy Bridgewater, which you like Hayden is why I'm higher on him than consensus as well.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of people are down on, Curtis and Robbie in comparison to where they were drafted last year, but I can tell you this, it's not like Teddy Bridgewater is going to throw 20 uncatchable targets, 20 plus yards down the field. Like both of those players basically got last season. You know, if just like five of those hit this year or last year, I should say Curtis's numbers would have been drastically different. If like four of those hit last year with Sam Darnold to Robbie Anderson or whoever else is throwing the football, then that would have drastically changed his end of season stats too. So it wouldn't be surprising if we see better numbers for one of those I doubt both, but at least one of those this year. Okay, Hayden, which camp competition slash position battle are you uh, looking forward to this year?
3: I almost nominated the Rams tight ends. I almost nominated the Rams wide receivers, but I'll go with the Rams running backs here. And the reason for that is Todd Gurley leaves behind 234 available carries, and that includes 29 of them inside the 10-yard line, which is where the most valuable carries, of course, are. And you got Cam Akers versus Jarrell Henderson, who only played 93 snaps last year, 39 carries, six targets, and that includes six pass-blocking snaps. And I think this is where Cam Akers fits in. I think that they drafted him because they're looking for somebody that can play on third down. And I think that Cam Akers is that guy He's pretty smooth as a pass catcher, but he was also third in pass-blocking reps among 349 FBS qualifiers last year. So I think that they're going to have him – Cam Akers, that is, be in on third downs. I think that's where we're going to get uh, a three-down roll out of Cam makers, probably within a month of the season. So I, my money is on Cam makers over Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown.
2: Ideally – I would like to see them, of course I would, as Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara-Light when they played together with the Saints. But yeah, this is why I think Cam Akers has the best chance among all rookie running backs for 250 plus touches because you don't spend higher draft capital after already trading up for who was thought to be the running back of the future in Daryl Henderson the year afterwards. So Akers has a clear path, which is why he's being drafted quite early. Uh, Maybe you can look this up while I'm talking. I believe it's the fifth round right now in best ball drafts. But again, I would also say, you know, you don't, you don't average over nine yards per carry in back-to-back years in college like Daryl Henderson did at Memphis or, uh, or get forty-five touches and still break, let's see, uh twenty nearly a twenty-five percent broken tackle rate on the few on the forty-five touches he did receive last year as a rookie without being talented. So to me, he's still a prime zero running back option despite what Josh says about him. Uh having said that, I think this is Cam Maker's backfield.
1: Uh your love of your life, John Daigle, she <laughs> she left to California. She went off and, you know just left you completely doesn't even speak to you anymore, but you just can't get over her. Can you Daigle? I mean, this Daryl Henderson, <laughs> this Daryl Henderson love. Um, I think it needs to stop. I really do because we can go by their actions. We can go by what he did last season. We can go back to Hayden's point of, I mean, I think Daryl Henderson had like 13 pass pro reps during his entire career at Memphis. And then like barely did any of that last season as well. And he's graded negatively in it, like during his entire career. Um, I keep going back to this, but when he was drafted, Dale Henderson was compared to Lance freaking Dunbar. Okay. And Cam Akers was compared to a foundation feature back. That's what the area scout calls it, you know? So look, especially in this offseason, season, there's not a lot of, to attach ourselves to these rookies until we actually see which order they're running in and maybe not even preseason games this year. But if you were to ask me the order of touches that the Rams' backfield gets this year, it's Cam Akers, then it's Malcolm Brown, then it's Daryl Henderson. I could be totally off on that, but I, I think we're totally forgetting Malcolm Brown in this backfield.
2: One, I,
3: go I, ahead, Dingle. Uh,
2: I would say one, Lance Dunbar was very good for the Dallas Renegades. so watch your mouth. And two, uh, maybe you're right. I don't, I don't think so, but maybe you're right. Malcolm Brown, of course, out snapped Henderson two twenty-two to ninety-three last year. Out touched him seventy-one to forty-three. So they clearly prioritize Malcolm Brown behind Todd Gurley, as opposed to getting Henderson any he run at it all. It's strictly a bet on talent dart for me and betting on Henderson.
3: I think there's the reason for this is the scheme fits. I think that cam makers is going to fit the zone scheme. I think Darrell Henderson had issues with vision adjusting from more of a power scheme into a zone scheme last year. And I think that's why he struggled to see the field. I think he even admitted it after the season that it was just tough to uh, learn how to set up his blocks and then pound forward and, I think that just the Cam Akers, they just reset this on purpose, and then he's going to be a RB2 flex side.
2: And and Cam Akers did what he did with one of the worst offensive lines in the FBS. You better get used to it. Yeah, that transition won't be anything new to him.
1: You and I were about to make the exact same point because that's important to note. No, because – I mean, we talk about volume and all that kind of stuff, but really the efficiency is going to come down to offensive line talent continuity. And last year, the Rams' offensive line maybe plummeted more than any other unit across the NFL. Um, but like you just mentioned, Cam Akers is used to bad blocking. He's used to hitting the home run when, you know, the lane is there and he can run in the open field. Maybe they are able to rejuvenate, not turn into like a top seven offensive line, which they were at times with Sean McVay and Todd Gurley running behind them, but maybe like a middle of the pack offensive line would be a great benefit to this entire Rams offense this season. Um, Okay. We fit on three. We've got three more.
2: Just turned 20, just turned 21, two weeks ago.
1: Thank you. You're up next, John Daigle.
2: Uh, Let's go with the Colts, another rookie, because the more I think about it, uh, Jonathan Taylor, if you gave him Saquon's hands, he becomes Saquon Barkley. And if you gave uh, Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor's running style, he becomes Jonathan Taylor. They're essentially the same prospect and Like I said, the more I think about it, the more I just think Taylor takes over this backfield all together sooner rather than later. And you can correlate all of these pieces. We talked about in our best ball draft last week uh, how I think the Colts' defense is the cheat code defense given their top five soft schedule and their their easiest projected schedule based on Vegas win totals alone. And so I think that leads us down the road to not only Jonathan Taylor potentially being offensive rookie of the year, even though his current 10 to one odds are a little too short for my liking. Um, I think it not only leads to them having a tremendous defense with long shot defensive MVPs like DeForest Buckner, because you need sacks really to win that award or Darius Leonard, who does it all from the middle of the, the linebacker spot. Um, It's just it's just Jonathan Taylor being behind arguably the best offensive line in the league led by one of the best all around players. And Quentin Nelson is much like J.K. Dobbins, much like Clyde Arnold Schiller, a match made in heaven. And so I keep coming back to this. And Taylor's ADP has actually slipped a few spots in the past month as the rookie fever has gone away. But that's why I've been drafting him more. And Mm -hmm. I will continue to draft him more throughout the summer.
1: Will you take him over Kareem Hunt?
2: Yes. Uh, quite nearly, I think I'm, t- I think he's going nine or ten, nine or eight or nine spots ahead of Kareem Hunt right now. And that's kind of where I'm taking him.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I guess it's it's just depending on, on where you're drafting. Cause, um, just looking at the ADP, I'm looking at it. He's running back 26 and Kareem Hunt is running back 27. Other veteran names are like Darius. Oh, I didn't
2: like, flip that much. Okay.
1: Yeah. Darius Geis is up there. Raheem Mostert, obviously. Like once to me, Hayden, you get after the James Connor, David Johnson, David Montgomery, maybe I'll throw in Raheem Mostert, who we talked about in a previous episode on, you know, if he really hits, then man, you've got a great back, but we just don't know how the volume is going to shake out there. But we know one of these rookie running backs is like, is is going to propel himself into a top 12 running back this year, right? Who knows if that's Jonathan Taylor, who knows if that's JK Dobbins, who knows if it's Cam Akers, it, hey, it might even be DeAndre Swift. But if you get that right, it can unlock your fantasy team. It can change your fantasy success. Um, We just have to figure out which one it is in a weird, weird, weird offseason.
3: For me, he's the RB 19. I think that's the highest out of the Roto World rankings. And the reason for that is I think that if there's a a team that somehow wins 11 games that we just didn't see coming, my money is on the Colts. They had uh, an upgrade at at quarterback. I mean, I think we're kind of underestimating how much better Philip Rivers is than Jacoby Brissett. Philip Rivers, 7.6 yards per attempt last year. Jacoby Brissett, 6.6. They get T.Y. Hilton back for a full season. All five of their offensive linemen return. And that's like a really nasty unit. Plus, they have the easiest schedule uh, according to opponent win totals. So I think that they're going to be in more positive game scripts than we're expecting. I think that Jonathan Taylor is going to be benefiting from that the most. And get out of here with the Naheem Hines uh, catching all these passes. The offensive, offensive uh, skill positions, you're trotting out. Uh, Michael Pittman's better, you get Paris Campbell back, and then you have T.Y. Hilton. I think that is just going to be Jonathan Taylor feasting with, like, 15 to 20 uh, rush attempts per game, and that's why he's going to be the RB2 for uh, rookie running backs this year.
2: Josh, the more I look into it, seriously, uh, I haven't seen so many stars aligned for a 13-win season and Frank Wright coach of the year, like, in the past five years. It just seems like it's all too obvious.
3: Yeah. I mean.
1: And we, and we know that Philip Rivers never misses any time, but let's say he does now during the twilight years of his career. At worst, you have Jacoby Brissett who just steps right in. you know. So having Jacoby in there as like a two to three to four game starter is not the worst thing. It's not going to de- derail your season at all. I'm with you guys. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, everything's there other than the passing game work. And we have seen it in the past specifically with someone like Melvin Gordon, who didn't have a lot of passing game work at Wisconsin, that it's just hidden. At times, you know, and and maybe it comes out once the once they actually start giving him opportunity and targets there. I know he's had a few drops in his career with the Badgers Hayden, but I I think it's something that you can improve on. And if if that's there, then he really is. He truly is a a complete running back who has yards created for him and then create yards on his own after contact as well. Okay, let's go to the New York Jets. We have barely talked about the New York Jets this offseason. Let's change that right. now. I wonder why. Yeah, there there might be a reason why we have not talked about them. Uh, I want to talk about the Jets wide receivers, though. Well, pass catchers. Let's put it pass catchers, okay? Because let me uh, revert back to Daigle's column on targets available right now for NFL teams compared to which players left in 2019. Well, for 2020, the Jets wide receivers have 183 targets available, 37% of their volume in 2019, and over 2,000 yard, air yards available. That's 50% of all of their air yards from last season. That leads the NFL, the highest percentage in the NFL. So you can question Sam Darnold, and I think people like Stephen Ruiz and Bill Barnwell have done a great job of that in their columns recently, that even in a perfect situation succeed when blocking is great, he's just not making the throws that he should. But that volume is going to go somewhere. Right, Jamison Crowder still got over a hundred targets last year, so we can't see like a massive increase from him. He's going as the wide receiver forty-nine. Rashad Perryman, the wide receiver sixty-three. Denzel Mims, the wide receiver sixty-five, and Chris Herndon as the tight end twenty around that area. You know the Jets were in three wide receiver sets sixty-nine percent of the time last year. We might not love any of these options, but let's just take a step back, Hayden, and say, okay, Sam Darnold does take a step this season. He he does show better play there's going to be a, a, an outside receiver in either Perryman or MEMS that greatly benefits from that. And at their price tag right now and where they're going in drafts, it's going to turn out to be a great value.
3: Yeah. They're, they're essentially free in any format and the Jets offensive line should be better than it was last year. They spent some free agency capital and then also their first round pick on the offensive line. Maybe Sam Darnold takes another step. Like you mentioned my issue on the outside in particular is, is the cornerbacks in their division, Stephon Gilmore, Tredavious White, Byron Jones. I think they're going to, be, it's going to be tough to win on the outside, and they have the 30, or 30th easiest schedule, third hardest. And I think the guy that's going to be benefiting the most, like you said earlier, is Jameson Crowder, who I think is probably the most talented guy at this point of those three receiver sets. And he has the most chemistry, of course, with Sam Darnold. I want to be buying Jameson Crowder at ADP and just kind of leaving Denzel Mims, so I kind of like, and Rashad Perriman, who's probably a little bit underrated as a talent. Uh, leave those guys on the bench and just draft Jameson Crowder.
2: So – the good news is both of these guys are going to play given the 11 personnel and the lack of competition. They're not going to be benched for Josh Dotson. Get out of here. Uh, however, Jameson Crowder, though I expect him to lead in targets, especially given his rapport with Sam Darnold that's already been proven last year, Jameson Crowder is also a smaller slot wideout. He's not an alpha male, whereas both Perryman and Denzel Mims have that makeup. The thing is, this offense under Adam Gase cannot support both. It's got to be one or the other. And although I'll prefer it to be Mims, I think he has the higher ceiling. I know you're very high on him, Josh. Uh, given the tumultuous off season, I've been selecting Perryman as that breakout. And it's funny because those air yards come from Robbie Anderson, and both players run similar routes. Uh, Mims in particular, tw- PFF charted 29% of his receiving yards on the go route last year. So, again, I would like it to be Mims, but... Uh, we don't know how the rookies will fare in the weird offseason. So I've been selecting Perriman as that guy to take over, at least for this year.
1: Something with Mems, you know, a lot of these college wide receivers get production fed to them. Mems, I believe, had one screen catch last season, like just wow. one. You know, he didn't have any catches really manufactured for him at all last year. And it's funny, Hayden, um, I posted these numbers on Twitter, you know, the year yards, that's the highest rate in the NFL and just ask the question, who are these all going to? And just received a boatload of pictures of Xavier Howard, of Byron Jones, of, <laughs> of Tradavius White, of Stefan Gilmore, Canadian. which is, which is totally valid. And congratulations, you made the same good joke, but the same joke. Uh, I, I totally understand the Prashad Perryman, um, not love, but, you know, interest based on this. I, you know, it's not going to be an every week starter, right? But if I can actually connect, what the Jets did this season to what a team did heading into the 2019 season, I would compare them very much to the Buffalo Bills, you know, completely reworking their offensive line to give, you know, their quarterback, the ability to stay inside of structure, hopefully improving the wide receivers around him, the pass catchers around him. And we saw, and I know it's a different team, but we saw that the bills then basically propelled John Brown into a top 20 wide receiver, the wide receiver 21. Maybe that happens here, and maybe it shocks us that the Jets can do it. I'm trying to give some, you know, optimism here because, again, we have not talked about the Jets once this offseason.
3: So. Hey, Daigle, you like uh, some Chris Herndon, don't you, a little bit, as, it, as like a tight end two flyer?
2: I love, love Chris Herndon. Um, yeah. You know, if, if, if you ever asked me bold takes for the season, I would probably say Chris Herndon, top 10 tight end.
1: Okay. We will be doing that podcast later on this summer then. Okay. Oh, good and bad. So we have one more camp competition to go. Hayden Winks it is yours.
3: I'm going to pick the 49ers running backs, So we just spent a, a couple podcasts ago talking about Raheem Mostert versus Tevin Coleman. My main point I want to go over is that it's okay to have both running backs above consensus if you like the offense, and I love the 49ers rushing offense with Kyle Shanahan, so I'm okay with Mostert at ADP. I think that he's the better player than Tevin Coleman. I think that the second half of last season uh, laid that out, And, but that doesn't uh, keep me away from Tevin Coleman, who's currently the RB 43 in best ball ADP. I have him ranked up all the way up my, as my RB 33. He's the guy that I keep drafting in the 10th, 11th, 12th round of leagues. And I just want pieces of this entire rushing offense. They combined for the first or fourth, most PPR points last year at the running back position. And Jarek McKinnon still yet to resume cutting uh, there's a good chance that they actually just cut him. They've already cut his salary uh, like under a million dollars. So I think that Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman are both okay buys at ADP.
2: I just, I love Raheem Mostert's skill set. We all do. He was a preseason breakout stud waiting to break out and finally did so over the Niners' last eight games last year. Uh, however, it's just eight games of production. A lack of receiving, receiving chops, and receiving usage altogether, which is why I just I cannot stomach the ADP right now. I love Tevin Coleman in his price. We know Tevin Coleman is going to be used in the passing game. We also know he started the divisional round for them and was only removed because for leading to that twenty nine carry game for Moster in the champ, conference championship because he was injured, uh, and then he was injured as well in the Super Bowl. So I still think sprinkling in Coleman is a smart way to go because you're, I, you're going to get six to eight starts from him, whatever starts are in the 49ers backfield, you're going to get it. He's going to lead in touches. And I think the same for most which is why it only makes sense to grab the later guy among the two to me. Anyways,
1: this is super smart from you, Hayden. Imagine that. Um, because both are going in the range where you can draft both. And that's, you know, much easier to do in a format like best ball in a format like Scott Fishbowl when you don't have to what well, we don't have to worry about spots on your bench just taking up, you know, pointless weeks, right? Because rosters that have around 20 to 25 22 names, you can have players on there that, you know, if they're starting or if someone gets injured, then you can plug someone in and you're going to have a top 15 running back. I'll also say that heading into last season, the 49ers backfield basically had three names to it, right? Not just two names to it. So minimizing that down to two names and also going back to what we said in that Raheem Mostert episode that this offensive line should be even better than it was last year. You know, this is – there were periods where Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey missed time, you know, their center missed time as well. Having, you know, the bulk of their offensive line play together for 85 90% of the snaps would even improve this running game most likely – and that's a, a dangerous outcome to what Kyle Shanahan has been working on in his lab over the last few months, I'm sure.
3: So. The, the one reason why I'm okay with Raheem Mostert at ADP right now is last year the 49ers were winning like all the time. That's probably why he was not seeing any receiving workload. And there's nothing about his athletic profile that makes me believe that he can't catch a couple passes. Not to mention if Debo Samuel's out for the first six weeks because he goes on the pup list with his broken foot, who are they going to be throwing the ball to? They have George Kittle. Then they have Brandon Ayuk, who's a rookie with a pandemic offseason. Basically, nobody uh, behind behind him at receiver. What if Raheem Mostert gets three, four targets a game and they're running in the best rushing offense or one of the top three rushing offenses in the league? I think there's a path to where Raheem Mostert, even though he hasn't proven that he can be your pass catcher, that he could catch a couple of dump-off passes, at least in the beginning of the year when Debo Samuel might be uh, limited or completely out.
2: Yep. what I still prefer Coleman and best ball given opportunity cost, but uh, whatever the case in redraft and season long leagues, it's going to be hell for both because good luck picking them.
1: This is why I kept bringing up Kendrick Bourne's name. I know he's like not interesting at all during her draft, but you know, at least he's going to get some volume while he's working there because it's, it's total unknowns. Like you mentioned, Brenna Ayuk basically a one-year producer at Arizona State, and obviously Cal Shanahan loves him. Then you had Jalen Hurd, who missed his entire rookie season, Trent Taylor, who missed the entire 2019 season, Dante Pettis, who is still on the outside looking in. Like, who the heck knows? But what we do know is that this backfield can be productive. And again, in a best ball format or Scott Fishbowl, something like that, where you have this wealth of a bench, um, drafting both, I think, is is smart. I think it's it's especially smart. Um, okay. Any closing words? Do you think we said it all?
3: No, I think that's it. it yeah. I'm just hoping I can keep uh, drafting these tight ends and Scott Fishbowl. That's what I there want. There you go. There you go.
1: All right, guys. That's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll be back later on this week, Friday morning, with our favorites episode. Yes, our favorite picks, ones you must leave all July drafts with. Again, that'll be on Friday, and that'll be with Patrick Darty joining us as well. Okay. Go and subscribe, rate, and review. Help us out. Tell one friend. For Hayden Winks, for John Daigle, I'm Josh Norris. Up the Villa. Talk to us soon. Dietz
0: and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way.